This morning, I would like for you to turn to three different passages. So go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to those passages with me. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, there should be one on your row in front of you in the basket. Uh, go ahead and grab that. The first one's going to be really easy to find. It's in Genesis 1. So literally just kind of turn a couple pages over from the cover and you'll find Genesis 1. The second text I want to look at is found in Isaiah 49. Isaiah chapter 49. And then the final one, maybe you can just plug your fingers in there or stick part of your bulletin in there to, to hold place, but it's John 1. John 1. So Genesis 1, Isaiah 49, <clears throat> John 1. And we'll be returning to those in just a moment. The first one I want to read actually comes from Genesis. And then I'll pray for us as we get underway with our sermon. Notice these words at the beginning of the Bible. The greatest book in the world. Now that's not, a, that's not an assumption of mine. That's not a, a preference of mine to say that. Literally, the Bible is the greatest book in the world by all measurements of what it would mean to be a great book. It really is. That's, that's a fact. That's not something disputable. Notice these words at the very beginning of this unbelievable, uh, unique book. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word. Would You make it a holy Word for us this morning? Holy Spirit, would You speak to our hearts would You challenge our minds? Would You put us to the test? Would You call us to Your mission field and help us to say, Yes, Lord, we pray in Your name. Amen. Personally, I love the time of Advent and Christmas. Although... I know some people don't. They lament this time. They don't like this time of the year. And so, over the next few weeks, I want to sort of redirect some of the wrong-headed thinking concerning Christmas, concerning Advent, concerning the baby in the manger. And the first of which is going to be this morning with this message of light of the light of hope. And, you know, some will say this is just simply a secular holiday that Christians kind of tacked on, or maybe it's a pagan holiday. Uh, both of them would be players in this sort of scheme. You know, the reality is, anytime the seasons change, anytime there's a big event like the ending of a year or the budding of new life in the spring, the pagans celebrate and so do the people of God, whether that be Israel or not. So just because these two coincide with each other does not mean that it had a pagan origin uh, necessarily or even that it was a Christian origin. It's just simply these are important days. And we mark these days as important. 
And celebrating is important. And there's all kinds of things that go on around the Christmas time that really change. I mean, even coming into this room, you already begin to see some of the greenery. There's more green. There's purple. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, white. There is a manger all of a sudden in our worship area. You know, there's more candles. There's light. There are scenes, sights, and smells that change during this season. And I want to kind of begin to explore why. And are they necessary? And should we make a big deal about it? Or just simply shrug this off as just another day? One thing I lament sometimes is when folks say, oh, it's just another day. It's not another day. No day is just another day with God. It can be the best of days. It can be a life-changing day. It can be a day of mission and fulfillment and obedience and love and joy and peace and all those things that are brought with it. It's not just another day that we just are trying to get through, just to make it through. We shouldn't, as Christians, just simply be trying to simply make it through the day. Rather, be victorious in our living. It's what He's called us to do. I know that it gets dark in our world. We've recently seen the darkness of mankind. It always boggles the mind for me to think that humans could do such things to other humans. I don't know how you get to that point, but I know it's by darkness. I can't walk you through the steps of how someone gets there to where they can take another life just because or steal from someone because they want your stuff, or cheat on their spouse, or cheat on their whatever, or lie, or do... We may not be able to follow the, the, the track of thought from a psychological perspective, but here's what the Scripture says, it's darkness. And you've been there before, haven't you? Where darkness has clouded your reason where you've done things yourself that you now look back on and you say, my God, what in the world was I thinking? Darkness. When it slips into our life and overshadows our life, we do things, we say things, we think things, we feel things that are dark, that are evil. The Scripture, of course, just as God calls out here, calls us to be children of the day. Children of light. Because He truly is the Father of lights. The Creator of light. Notice, let there be light and there was light. Don't you love just sort of the matter-of-factness of Genesis? He speaks it and it happens immediately, and he says, this is good. This is real good. Advent is a good time of the year. Christmas is a good time of the year. Not to, you know, disparage the other seasons, but without this season up front, the other ones don't happen. Without the coming of Christ... In human form, there can be no death for us. God cannot die. It's impossible. Unless 
of course, He takes on humanity. All of the other seasons we celebrate, the coming of the Spirit, are made possible because of this season. This season of the Lord's first coming. Now, it won't be His last coming. There will be a day, and Job saw this day. I love, I love that Job, of all people, saw this day. He said, <clears throat> he said, folks, he was getting frustrated. We've all been frustrated before, and he was getting very frustrated with his friends. And he said, folks, I know there is a Redeemer that lives, and one day He will stand upon the earth. And you know what? That day is coming, my friends. It doesn't matter what the kingdoms of this world are doing at that point in, in their plans and schemes to take over the world. Kind of reminds me of that cartoon, Pinky and the Brain. You know, what are we going to do tonight, Brain? Uh, you may not even know this one, but, but you know, we're going to try to take over the world. It's what we do every night, you know. And I, and I feel like the nations of the world, that's what they have their mind on, is taking over the world. But you know what? When that day comes, when the true King comes, everyone else will cower before Him. They may seem big and bad today. They are not. They are darkness, and darkness is expelled as quick as you can simply turn on the light. You see, darkness can never, ever, hear these words, darkness can never overcome light. Not ever. But we can fall into the shadows. We can end up in a valley. It's by our own doing that we walk into these valleys of the shadow of death. If you read Psalm 23 carefully, you'll see that the psalmist says, You are the good shepherd. Do, 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 do. You do these different things. Then he comes to that point where he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shepherd. In other words, the shepherd didn't lead him there, but he found himself in the shadows. And shadows can play tricks on us, don't they? Remember as a kid, being scared of certain shadows in your room? You want the light on. Where's the night light, man? The darkness is a scary thing. Fog is really a representation, really a great illustration of what sin can do in our lives. You know, when it's foggy, the simple task that we normally have of driving becomes very difficult. So, just seeing a stop sign in time becomes a problem in fog. Seeing a car in front of us break becomes a problem when there's fog around. This is why uh, military folks will even talk about the fog of war. Because when that fog sets in... Things just aren't black and white. They're not as clear as you want them to be. And we all find ourselves in situations from time to time in our lives where the fog of life has crowded out and we can't see up or down. Our instruments are not registering well. We don't know where to turn or what to do. And as my father has often said, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Go to the light of the Scriptures. 
Go to the source of light Himself in prayer. Go to the people of the light and hold on for dear life. You see, He's the one who created light. He is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. The darkness comes into play with us. The darkness comes into play with the prince of darkness. And so we live in a world where we have night and day. But let me encourage you this morning, there will be a day that the sun rises and will never set again. And it won't be the sun that's burning a few million miles away from us, but rather the S-O-N, because there will be no need for the S-U-N any longer because of the Son of God. He will light the place, is what the Scripture says in the book of Revelation. There will be a day when there will be no more night, no more darkness, no more suffering, no more evil. Now that day is hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Because all we've known is sun up and sun down. Good stuff happens, bad stuff happens. This is the way the world works. Takes two steps forward, 14 steps back. This is the way our world works. But let me encourage you this morning, the Gospel points to another day, another way in which there will be no more night. You see, in Advent, people have all kinds of hopes and wishes. Some are just simply hoping that Dad doesn't get drunk again. Some are hoping that Mom comes home. Some are wishing they could hold their loved one again. Others are wondering, is this going to be my last Christmas? Others are entering into a fog of depression where they can't seem to shake it. They're missing their loved ones. They're in pain, but it's not just a physical pain. It's deep within. There's a longing You see, many people wish different things and hope different things during this season. But there's also these positive hopes that the Bible gives to us. They are hope itself. God. The hope of a day when we will be reunited. Working on this sermon, I thought of Nana. I thought of Pappy in my own life, who we've lost over the past few years. Grandparents. Jessica's grandmother, my grandfather. And it's sad to know that... It's sad to look back and remember that last Christmas we had. But Christmas itself makes possible Christ. And His redeeming of the world. I know one day that I can say like David did with his dead child that I cannot bring them back from the dead, but I can go to them. Isn't that hope? 
That is hope beyond any kind of worldly hope. And every time that I attend a funeral, especially of a believer, I can honestly tell you that I have real hope that I'm going to see them again. I mean, I declared at at Nana's funeral, this is not the end for her. She will wake up again. Don't you always love those movies that end, you know, with 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 maybe the the main character dying and you're just everybody's depressed and all you know, but then all of a sudden, at the very end of the episode or the very end of the movie, they just they're lying there and boom, they wake up. You're like, yes, and then it goes to the credits. You're like, oh, I got I got to find out what happens next. You know what they're playing off? They're playing off the greatest story ever told. Jesus did not stay down. He died and woke up again. His eyes came back to life. And He ascended into heaven. And look, one day when the credits start rolling, it's going to be over. But it won't be over for those who have died in the hope of Jesus. In the light Himself. They will come back to life. This is why we even bury them facing the east so it makes it easier for them to rise. They're waiting and looking for that day when they will be put back to their bodies and reunited. And we reunited with them. This is hope, folks. This is some real stuff. And so He's the Creator of light. He gives real hope in the midst of all kinds of darkness. And He asks us this Advent season to go into our homes, to go into our family situations, to go into that mother or father situation or that family thing or that marital issue and be light. Bring light. Who else is going to shine the light of Christ but you? I can't get in those situations. But you can. You have been placed with those people. It's time for us to allow that candle to burn in us in the midst of darkness. Now, I'm not saying that's an easy task. But it's a task that we're called to. To be salt and light. You know who else was called to that task? Israel. Notice... Isaiah 49. We're going to pick up in verse 5, even though we should read much more of this. You would do well to read the rest of the chapter this evening. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servant, to bring Jacob back to Him, and that Israel might be gathered to Him, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You know what's being said there? He's saying, look, yes, I called you to be my servant in the world. Israel, my elect people.
people. Elected not just for personal salvation, but so that you could be a representative of Me in the world. That's why He called Israel out of all the other nations and said, I'm going to reveal Myself to you. I'm going to give My promises to you so that you can give them to the world. They failed at that. They did not accomplish that. And yet, God says, you know what? I'm not just going to call you to come back to Me. I'm going to call you to come back to Me, but then go to all nations. Because you were called to be a light to all peoples. You see, this thing about salvation is not just us trying to enter into the light. Yes, we must do that. But it's about sharing that light with others. It's never something we get to keep. If you get the light and then you put it under a bushel, <laughs> as the old song goes, it's not the purpose of it. No, right? You throw that off, right? That's how the song goes. No. <laughs> Let your light shine. That's the purpose of Israel. God said, you know what? You thought I was just calling you so you could be saved. But I had so much more in vision for you. You know what I believe about your life without even knowing what God has called you particularly to do is that He's called you to do more than you ever thought you could do. When I answered the call to preach, I was 17 years old. February 28, 1999, about 8.30 at night in Mississippi. And... I said yes to God. Basically, He gave me two options, you know, one way or this way. And I chose this way, which was, I thought, just simply to be a pastor, just to be a preacher. I never saw teaching as part of that, and yet it is. I never saw mission work in India as a part of that, but it is. I never really envisioned at that point discipling these little dudes that God has entrusted me with. And now, a little lady. But that was part of my mission. I didn't even know it at the time. You see, we have such a small vision and He has to give it to us in increments or I think it'll freak us out. I think, I think that's the reason. He, I really do. I, I, don't, I think if He just told you up front, hey, you're going to be in India in seven years, you'd be like, uh, oh no, I'm, gone. I'm out. I'm out, man. But, that's where you're going to be. That's what you're going to be doing if you continue to follow Him. Is greater things than you ever thought possible. What things does God want to unlock in your life if you'll just open up yourself and stop covering up that light that is within you? Yes. Take the bushel off. Take the blinders off. Cast them aside. No longer with shades or with hats. Try to suppress what is in us. But allow God's Spirit, His light, to shine forth. You know that the Spirit oftentimes is represented by fire in the Old Testament. I love that. Everybody likes fire, right? A bonfire. We had a bonfire last night that I went over to very briefly for some of the high school folks. And... I mean, if you ever notice around a campfire in particular when nobody's got their phones, their phones aren't working, what do people do? They just simply look at the fire. 
You ever notice that? They're not off looking at a tree over in the, in the woods. No, they, everybody just kind of staring at the fire. In the Old Testament in Exodus, God during the day was represented for the children of Israel as a pillar of cloud. Right? But at night, fire. Fire. <laughs> when Solomon prayed and the Spirit descended upon the temple, guess what happened? Smoke and fire. Notice when Isaiah sees a vision of God, that beautiful vision in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He sees the, the Lord high and lifted up and the train of His robe fills the temple and there was what? Earthquakes and fire and smoke. The presence of God in our life. Do you know that when there's fire and smoke, you can't really hide that? You ever notice that? Like you ever gone to a bonfire and then go to the store and you're like, man, I smell like smoke. Even if you went into it, you know, I used to, you actually could go into smoking establishments. Uh, today we, we don't really have those anymore except for very dedicated small places. But, but if you ever go into one of those things, you walk out and you smell like smoke. I think that's the point. When you've been around God, you ought to smell like that. That ought not to be something you can contain. When you've been in His presence, when we have worshipped here, when we've sought His face, when we've prayed, when we've been with the living God, there's no way to contain that. Amen. It ought to burn up the other things in our life. We ought to be able to cast them into the fire and watch them go up in smoke. That's what He wants to do in us. That's what He wants to do in me this Advent season. He says, come to the fire. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come to the fire. And we're saying, hang on, we're, we're going to be toast. Not with Him. They came out and it says they didn't even smell like the smoke and the fire. And yet the people who threw them in, they died. That's the kind of fire He invites us to is one that purifies us. And guess who they, the king looked in there, remember, and he says, hey, I thought we threw three of those old boys in there. There's a fourth there and he looks like the Son of God. Because he was. He was with them in the midst of the fire. We need that kind of fire in order to be a light to the nations. You know what? America is at a point where right here in Huntsville and Madison and in Athens, we are among the nations. Our, our, our soccer team was an international team. Jamaica. I talked to a lady from India, from Africa, right here in our midst. The nations have come here. It is our time to be a witness and not remain silent. To be a light, to be a fire burning within us. You know, one thing that I pray often for, for you is that the Spirit would come upon you and you not try to restrain Him. You know? Because we like to do the church thing. We're such good church people that, that we just we, we think it needs to be this way and that. But when the Spirit comes, He oftentimes tells us to do things that are outside of the church thing. That doesn't mean you're going to get up and run, but you know what? You're welcome to. I've actually done that before. Not in a church service, but in a private prayer meeting. Here's the, here's the real key witness for me. By the way, with anything like that, that would happen, because everybody's going to, you know, somebody does that, everybody's going to look at me like, hey, what are you going to do about that big guy? Um, 
If you do it in your prayer time, if you worship that way at home, hey, let's do it. But if you're doing it for show, it's of the flesh. It's not promoting the Spirit. So until you run at home, let's not run here. Let me tell you something. When you get alone with God, you may weep before Him. That's actually sort of my go-to way of worshiping is to get on my face. For me, it's not the running and the shouting. It's on my face. Because typically when I see people in the Bible really meet God, they're not going crazy, you know, doing this or that, lollygagging and just skipping around. They normally fall flat on their faces if they were dead in worship of Him. Now let me tell you that when He does something for you, when He delivers you, that's the time to shout. That's the time to give Him glory. Put your hands in there and say, Thank you, Jesus! Because it's better than the lottery. It's better than a new car or a new house or a goal or a one, a one what do they call it? Hole in one. It's better than a hole in one. John 1. Just these words are enough for us this morning. In the beginning, what he's doing, connecting it to Genesis, he's reaching back in his gospel at the very beginning and pulling Genesis right up to the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Man, that gets me excited. I mean, look, seriously, just let's be real. This is just me being for real with you, alright? It's Christmas time, Advent time, and there's a lot of stuff to do. Parties to go do, gifts about. Now we're going to reduce all the stuff we do here at the church so that you're not having to do a lot of that stuff. Because I want us to focus on Jesus. We say, just colloquially, you know, He's the reason for the season. Let's actually do it. I'm serious. Like when you go out to eat and you're not getting good service, how about blessing that lady? What if we did that? Like what if we just turned things on its head? Instead of wanting to get this and that, what if we really had a heart of gratitude and gifting to others? What, I mean, I'm just, I'm just being for like, what if we did that? Just seriously, over the next, we only have four weeks until, until Christmas. What if we just did that even today as we interact? People who actually make you mad, what if you actually prayed for them after they made you mad? Prayed a blessing on them. I'm just saying, what would happen if we began to live like that? That's bringing light into darkness, isn't it? Forgiving people? You say, man, that person does not... Who does deserve forgiveness? Name one. None of us do. And yet He forgave you. You can hold nothing against someone else. According to the Bible, because if you do, you're covering up that light and He cannot forgive you if you are holding it down. 
He's not going to take it from you. You've got to give that to Him. If there's bitterness, let's replace that with love. If there's just this craziness to our life, and trust me, Jessica and I know a little bit about craziness around our house with four boys. You should hear us sometimes. Maybe you shouldn't. It gets crazy around there. What if we replace the craziness with peace? I don't mean weak peace, throwing up a symbol. I mean peace that's in our heart. That no one can take from us. I mean no situation can take from us. You say, Chris, this is a bad time because this happened. Allow God to bring peace to whatever that is. Say, I'm really miss. Allow His peace to overcome you. He can do that if you'll ask. Here's the good news of Christmas and of Advent is He has come. That's actually what Advent means. It's Latin for Adventus. He has come. Coming. He's come and He will come again. <laughs> that, that, that sums up this entire season of anticipation. Because with all this greenery and all the lights and the smells and the songs, we're anticipating His coming. He's not in the manger yet. We're anticipating that. Just as in the season of Lent, we anticipate the resurrection, so too now we anticipate, but not only anticipate, I want us to move from anticipation to participation in God and His work in the world. So as we wait, let's participate. I'm a poet and don't know it. But But really, how can you participate with God and what He's doing today, this week? I hope and pray that as, as we've had... This sermon, and I say we because he, he always hits me before he ever hits you. He said, man, you, you, your words really... No, no, it's, it's his words that are in you that's coming to life as I hit on certain things. But I hope that names have come to mind. I hope situations have come to mind that you can now take to God and give that to Him in faith. Ask Him to help you with. Allow Him to draw you out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. I'll end with this. I was at a very dark place when I was in college. This was after I had accepted the call to preach. All that good stuff. And, and I was in a relationship that I thought was it. You know what I mean? I thought it was the one. And yet... She didn't get the memo, right? Uh, she didn't have the same paper I was looking at. And it all went down and it, you know, is just the way it was. But it was a very, very dark time for me. Now look, you may say, oh, well, that's just a little, little love story, heartbroken, whatever. It was darkness to me. So much darkness that I stood in the darkness on the side of the interstate watching the semis passed by thinking of just taking two steps and I would be out there with them. 
wanting to die. Truly. Because when darkness comes, we don't react the way we should. We don't know up from down. We're stumbling over things that are just simple. But God brought me out of that. And what brought me out wasn't just that God loved me, but all I could think about was my family. I thought about my brother. I thought about my mom and dad, my grandparents. And you say, well, I don't have family like that, man. You do right here. Let me tell you that there are people in this room who are brothers in Christ to me. Literal brothers in Christ. I need you. Sisters in Christ right here. Mothers and grandmothers in the faith right here if we'll open up. If we'll open up, there will be people that can care about us and point us to the light. My brother was instrumental during that season of darkness for me. That valley of the shadow of death for me. He walked with me through that along with the Spirit of God. Do not do this alone. Because when you're in darkness, your brother may not be. He can see the light and hold your hand and walk through that situation with you. That's what the church is about. That's what we want to do for people, with people. But you got to ask. Nobody can read minds here that I know of. You got to ask. You see, there's a light that can change us. It's Christ. He is the true light. Will you come to that light this morning? (laughs) He hit Bethlehem and lit up the whole place and yet no one saw it. No one saw it. Except for a few that showed up that night, right? There was just a few. A couple poor shepherds and a couple rich guys later on. The rich and poor and everyone in between. But only a few came. Who will come this morning and say, you know what? I want that light. Who's been following that one star that points to the Christ? If you haven't, you can start today. And He can light up your life in a way that lights on your house can never do. Will you allow the light of hope to enter today and then give that back out to others? It is our mission. Amen.